Let's open up our Bible to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, I'm going to talk about, well, the best title I could think of was study. Um, So we'll flip uh, back and forth from the Old Testament to the New, and that was by accident. (laughs) When I was preparing it, I thought I'll read all of the Old Testament scriptures and then go to the New Testament. That's often the easiest way, but this one here ended up being a bit different. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we'll start in verse 11. For this commandment, which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us, that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very nigh unto thee, in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. And, uh, and so it, it uh, builds a picture, these few verses, saying, look, God's word isn't hidden in a secret little place where you need some um, guru... <laughs> How about that one, Nina? Some guru to go off and uh, grab this word and then tell us what it says. Uh, Right up in heaven, up high in the Himalayas or deep in the sea or whatever, other lands, bring it that uh, we may know it. But God's purpose or point is to make his commandments, his word, close to us. He wants us to, uh, to have it on hand that we can refer to and read. And then just to add to that, back to uh, chapter 27. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and just one verse here, verse 8. So that's uh, Deuteronomy 27 and verse 8. And it says, And thou shalt write upon the stones all the words of this law very plainly. So God uh, wants people to understand and know what his law is or what his commandments are. Uh, and he, he wants it to be very plain, simple, um, to, to be able to talk about it uh, and to, to be able to understand it and to delve into it and close by as well. So, um, so you've got your Bible close at hand. It's easy to get out of the bookshop, not bookshop, out of the uh, bookshelf it's not hidden away in deep in the attic somewhere. It's close at hand, and it's, it's something that uh, we can understand. That's what God wants, and it says there as well, back, um, the word is not, it's in our mouth and in our heart that we may do it. Uh, that's God's purpose. Over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined, he was determined not to know anything among you or uh, not to be uh, super intelligent among you. Um, 
he reduced himself to just knowing about Jesus Christ and that he was crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And uh, that's something, you know, weakness is a good thing. Uh, We should never be afraid of weakness or um, ashamed of it because God can work with weakness. Verse 4, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. So here's Paul come to the uh, Corinthian church and is saying, look, I just used simple, plain speech, plain words, plain descriptions to be able to, uh, to, to bring you to the Lord. And um, not enticing words, like, like not flamboyant or charismatic, um, but, and that's an important thing, the demonstration of the spirit and of power. And that's God's point, is he wants to see power. He wants to see results from prayer. It's power that um, makes people, uh, people's eyes open. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, that, that's truly an incredible thing. Um, and then verse 6, he's kind of flipped and he says, look, but amongst us, amongst those that are perfect, you know, those that uh, uh, know the truth, um, uh, reading the scriptures, fellowshipping, amongst those that are perfect, he speaks wisdom, right? There's a type of wisdom that we speak amongst us and, uh, and he's made that uh, distinction is that the wisdom that we speak is the wisdom that comes from God, uh, not the wisdom of this world, as it says, because that comes to naught. It, it, it's, uh, it comes to nothing. It's just, um, it's, it's just words that uh, there's no result. There's no... Spirit and power with wisdom that comes from the world. But we speak the wisdom of, of the Lord um, amongst ourselves. And um, also that wisdom comes with time. And I'll read some uh, scriptures about that as well. Like there is a certain amount of wisdom, the immediate download that we get when we receive the Holy Spirit. But there is also a type of wisdom that takes time for us to, uh, to learn and acquire uh, the wisdom of, of the Lord. And uh, what's interesting there in verse 7, it says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Now, that's interesting in that I just read some verses saying that um, it's plain speech, it's, uh, it's always at hand, you know, but it's a mystery for those that don't understand. Okay, but us, it's not a mystery. It's close to us. We've got the spirit in us to help us as well and help us to grow in wisdom. Back to Exodus chapter 34. We've got this funny little thing that happened while they were out in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 27. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words... I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel, 
And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water, and he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Um, Surely the Lord helped him, not eating or drinking for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, Surely the Lord gave him strength with all that. Verse 29, And it came to pass, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron, and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. So there's certain levels here. So uh, um, Moses was speaking with Aaron and the rulers first, and then to, um, to everyone else. Verse 33, Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil upon his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out, and he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, the skin of Moses' face shone, and Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with them. So it's bizarre, absolutely bizarre, that um, after this time of uh, fasting and being with the Lord one-on-one, um, up on the Mount of Sinai, he comes down and his face is shining. And that's a bit freaky. No wonder Israel was afraid. What's happened to this bloke we call Moses? He's up in this mountain and he comes back and his face is shining. And this here is evident that, yeah, it's, it's a gospel that's close to us. It's a gospel that uh, is written plainly, but there are results. There's a wow moment. Wow, that's what God can do in our lives. And it's something, and I'll read the New Testament reference to this, that people need that hidden because it's just shocking. It's an amazing thing. And I've heard testimony of some people coming to a revival fellowship meeting and they say that at they see everyone's faces are shining, they're happy and, and joyous. And I realise I'm stretching the envelope here. But it's, a, it's a theory. But I'm sure those that are filled with the Spirit smile bigger and their eyes have a glint in it. I'm sure of it. Um, there's something through the Spirit that makes us shine. Um, not to the extent that uh, Moses was just glowing and uh, others were afraid of it. But it, it shows that where Moses went, what was behind him was spirit and power. And it was uh, being manifest in, in this person, this human being. Over to Second Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this makes reference to this event and provides a little bit of clarity around it as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. 
who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, which is a reference to the old law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit giveth life. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. So it's referring to the old law, which kills, which is the ministration of death. The reason that's referred that way, the law defines sin. The law was, as it says here, glorious, absolutely glorious in that God gave human beings tools to be able to judge according to his judgment, to be able to judge of what's right and what's wrong. And as a result of this definition of what was wrong, um, it was like a condemnatory aspect to it and there was no spirit in the doing of the law, you know, um, that there was not this um, infilling of the Holy Spirit, this life that comes through the Spirit. It was a reliance on the flesh. And we know that the flesh leads to destruction and leads to the grave. But because it came from God to give human beings that ability to judge what was right and wrong, it was glorious. So what Paul's saying here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, if this thing that was the ministration of death and, uh, and killed, if that had a glory to it and, and that had this amazing glory in that the face of Moses shone and the glory of his countenance and that glory was to be done away with. So what he's doing is building uh, a comparison here. Okay, He's using the old law as a comparison of something that he's going to explain further. So that was glorious, and it was to be done away with. Verse 8, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious, be so much more glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more does the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excels. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more, much more, that which remains and and stays remains is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, uh, simplicity, confidence, boldness, that can also mean, and not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, right? So that's the explanation of what happened there. The, The nation of Israel did not have the spirit in them. They could not see spiritual things. They were still under the old law, under that yoke, and they couldn't see spiritual things and grab hold of it and be joyous for it. And they couldn't see the end which is to be abolished, because when they're looking at Moses with his face shining, they are looking at the future, the spiritual future, which will not be abolished. Verse 14, But their minds were blinded, 
For until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. And there's many people today who grab hold of the Old Testament and try to follow the old laws and try to implement them. And even there's a mixture as well that happens between the old and the new. Um, Which veil is done away in Christ? And so amazingly in that symbolic form when uh, Jesus died, ripped from the top to the bottom. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, there's hope when it shall turn, when the heart it's referring to, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. Okay, there's freedom. No longer that uh, yoke of bondage, that uh, ministration of condemnation, the, the letter that kills, the ministration of death. No longer that. There is now liberty through the spirit. But we all, with open face, you know, not ashamed, you know, we we can behold it openly as in a glass, the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. That is the dispensation we live in today. We live in that dispensation that, uh, that we'll not be afraid if we saw Moses and his face and his skin shining like that, because we're a part of it. We are kindred with it. We've got the spirit in us. That is what the plainness of the word does to people and does to our lives. Back to the Old Testament, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 11. And remember, the title of this talk is Study. So I'm getting there, but uh, just bear that in mind. The, The power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the word. Deuteronomy chapter 11. And verse 18. So that's Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 18. Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. Um, I always think of like, I mean a frontlet could be... um, dangling from, like, sitting against your forehead. But in this context, it's like having a hat with a carrot dangling in front. (laughs) So it's like you're always looking at it. You're always looking at it. Always looking at or always thinking, always doing uh, the words of the Lord. Verse 19. And ye shall teach them your children... Speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. In other words, whenever you can, there's no restriction. And thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. So God, talking about his words, he wants them, wants us to put effort in, that effort of uh, applying his word, that's uh, writing them as a sign on our hand, a testimony, applying his word in our life. He will put the words in our heart and in our soul, as it says, through the Holy Spirit, as frontless between our eyes, thinking about it, always having it as our mindset, 
actively teaching, teaching our children, sharing, discussing about the wonders that are in the Word. It's just so good when you're having fellowship and someone asks, oh, what have you been reading? And you can bounce off ideas and what people have gotten from it and you grow thereby. Um, whenever you can. Uh, and even uh, just having the Word with you always. Uh, that, and there's a promise as a result of this, your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land or the life that we lead um, here on earth, that he will bless it and we will um, we'll have... The thing is, we often think materialistically because we live in a materialistic world. It's very easy for us to think that way. He can bless us that way, but also it's internal, what happens internally. It's that joy of the Lord, that peace, that comfort. He gave us the Holy Spirit, which is the comforter. Uh, that assurance and confidence, they are without price. They, they are blessings. They are a multiplication of blessings and wonderful things we can get out of this life as we read his word and try to apply it and think about it and have it always near us. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. Of these things, put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit or um, strive not means arguing about uh, things that don't matter, that come to naught, wisdom of this world, but to the subverting of the hearers. Study, hence the title, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness and strife. And their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. In other words, that um, profane and vain babblings affect others and, uh, and, uh, and um, affect the faith of others. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure. The foundation does not move. Having this seal, the God knoweth, the, the God knoweth them that are his. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So there's time here, that study takes time, here a little, there a little, precept upon precept, approved unto God. You know, reaching some sort of perfection before God. A workman. You know, uh, things to do. A workman that is not ashamed. There's that confidence that we have, like when studying it and applying it and, uh, uh, and thinking about it. And then that last bit of verse 15, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, the Bible has been used throughout history for bad stuff. Throughout history, people have stood by the Bible for their own gain, for really bad things. Um, you can look in the history books, and I'm sure you can all think of some uh, people that professed to hold the Bible and know the Bible. 
But we, God wants us to rightly divide the truth, to know what the truth is, to understand that, hey, this applies now. This is how we apply the truth, okay? Yeah, the Bible says some pretty harsh things, some things that are are shocking and in your face if they're not applied properly. So we, as we study to show ourselves approved by God, looking to God, fellowshipping, talking about it, we can be in a position to rightly divide the word of truth, to understand, and that's liberty, that's freedom. It's not uh, uh, bondage anymore. We are free before the Lord and we have that confidence. And also, just on a, a minor thing, I, I really believe that, rightly dividing the word of truth, some scriptures at a particular time can be comforting. Some scriptures can definitely not be comforting. It's the same Bible, same words. And so there's that rightly dividing. What scriptures to say when and what scriptures to apply when and those not to. That's this wisdom that comes from God, a wisdom in how to apply it. And what a joyous thing it is as well when you apply it rightly and you get results, you know, and uh, you see great beauty. Okay, last Old Testament scripture, Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus chapter 14. It's quite a long chapter and quite a tedious chapter, so I'm not going to read it all, which is most unusual for Leviticus. Um, It's before the book of Numbers. There we go. Leviticus chapter 14. So bearing in mind what I've said already, we'll get to Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper, In the day of his cleansing, he shall be brought unto the priest. So this chapter 14 has 57 verses. And the start of it says, look, there's this law of the leper in the day of his cleansing, giving instruction of how a leper can be cleansed. Okay? And there's a lot here. There's sacrificing birds and there's um, sprinkling blood and there's... Uh, like sprinkling the leper seven times and shaving his hair and all sorts of stuff, the eighth day doing this, two lambs and and so forth. And then there's even a weird bit about putting oil on his right ear and on his left hand and just bizarre things. And then in the middle of it, we get to verse 33. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When you become into the land of Canaan, which I give to you for a possession, and I put the plague of leprosy in a house of the land of your possession. So then up to this point, it's about cleansing the the person who is a leper, and then there's this weird situation where there's a type of leprosy that ends up in a house. And again, there's weird things about uh, cleaning it out and scraping it clean and there's greenish bits and pieces to, uh, to look at it and the priest assesses it. It's just bizarre um, when you read it and how, what does it mean? Like, why is God putting this chapter in Leviticus for people to apply in their lives back in Old Testament times? And there's a, 
The reason I chose this chapter is because it's got a great conclusion in verse 57. So Leviticus 14 and verse 57, and it says, the reason you go through all this stuff, all this tedium, what seems like tedium, is to teach when it is clean, sorry, when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. So what happens is through this process, this long process of, okay, God, what do I need to do now? Okay, the priest is told this leper to shave their head. Okay, what's the next bit? Okay, then I've got to do that. Put oil in the ear and the hand. And, and there's a long process, tedious process, in order for the nation of Israel to be taught to know what is unclean and what is clean. And of course, there's that New Testament concept. It takes time for us to learn, study, looking back on what his word says, um, applying it in our life, thinking we're doing something right, we do it wrong. Don't! Where was I wrong? What's it say in the scripture? Ah, that's what it is. You know, building on it slowly. It can, um, on, I mean, we love reading the word, don't we? Love it. It's just exciting reading the word. But it's one book with a boring cover. It can seem like tedium, going from one cover to the other, back and forth, back and forth, coming to meetings all the time. In the flesh, it can be tiring, but the spirit's built up. And the Lord's encouraging us to go through the process, to go through that and learn a little bit here and there. Talk, ask, study, so that we are in a position to be able to judge what is unclean and what is clean, what is wrong and what is right. That's what God wants. He's expressed it plainly for us to learn these things. 1 John Chapter 4, and we'll stay in the New Testament. 1 John, chapter 4, and verse 1. 1 John, chapter 4, and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit or idea or thing that's said, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, or the spirit that's clean and the spirit that is unclean. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So God wants us to try the spirits, try the ideas to see whether they are of God or they're not of God. We are inundated with information 
Yes, there's some of it there that is of God. There's a lot of it that's not of God. A lot of it is of, sorry, some of it is the wisdom that comes from heaven and a lot of it's the wisdom that comes from the earth. So the Lord wants us to have that clarity, that clarity to understand of what's clean and what's unclean and latch hold of that thing which is clean, that thing that is positive, that thing that builds up, not that breaks down or is negative. Penultimate scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among you, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. You know, we are separate. God's made us separate. God's made us different. Um... It's difficult being different. Um, I guess I've got an advantage. Um, ever since I was a kid, people have told me I'm different. But, um, but either way, it's difficult being different. We like to be part of a crowd and be popular. But God's made us different. And praise the Lord, we've got other like-minded people. We've got similarity with this group of people. So when we're different, when we're out and about, we can rely on, hey, look, I've got good mates, good friends, people I love um, that are the same, that are constant. Um, And so it helps us to touch not that unclean thing. And when we do that, God will be a father. He'll be dear to us. We will be dear to him. We are the apple of his eye. Finish up uh, Revelation chapter 3. And verse 19. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, or teach. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh, will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And this is obviously a chapter where it goes through the seven churches and at the end of each description there's this little passage that says to him that overcomes um, and here, this one, him that overcomes, he'll grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as Jesus Christ himself overcame and now is set down in his throne that the Father gave him. Now, think about it. How was it that Jesus Christ was worthy to sit down in that throne? Right? It says further down in Revelation that he was the lamb that was worthy. Now, he became worthy because he gave up his former glory, became lower than the angels as a man, walked on earth. He was humble to God's commandments. He was crucified. His blood was shed. Uh, Then the Holy Spirit raised him up to sit in his throne. 
That's what Jesus Christ went through to be worthy to sit in that throne. Now, those that overcome, you and me, those that overcome, Jesus Christ is going to let us sit in that very same throne. (laughs) Right? Jesus Christ went through all that to be worthy. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We walk in spirit and in truth. We are worthy to sit in that same seat as Jesus Christ. Okay? So we have a life to lead here on earth. We've got much to learn, much study to do, much exciting things to see, some power that's see as a result of prayer. And we will be raised up if we overcome. If we overcome, we will be worthy to sit in that same throne with Jesus Christ. Okay, thank you.